0: What's the value of knowing that there will be a final day of history? What changes your view of God and the world if you believe that life runs in a cycle uh, rather than having an end point? Uh, Anybody any need clarification on that or are you ready to discuss? All right. Yeah. Yes. All of history. I, you know, I think you could say that um, mostly all of history, but your experience of it. So how does it fit your experience of it, what, knowing that there's an end to it, and of course that could involve your own personal end, um, but just this idea of a, a cycle service. All right, take a couple minutes and discuss. Well, this table probably the closest to a change. In any no closer than any of us to the final. <laughs> we
1: did discuss. This. I was just okay. thinking uh, because I just got here. <laughs> uh, so maybe I, I thought, should say that. <laughs> I was thinking um, that, that God will, like it's now and not yet right now, but there will be the final day when, when all sin, there will that He will be. Um, what, what would you say when it's the final yet? You know, the yeah. um, right. that everything is. Yeah, oftentimes called the I, consummation. Of the, yes, the consummation of, of everything. Completing all
0: things. Yeah. That
1: there will. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What difference does it make in now?
1: Yeah, if, 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 if everything were cyclical, it would be like getting, having cancer, but never being cured,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. not, I'm yeah. going to remission. What a great image! Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean,
0: that's not yeah. having an endpoint opens up a possibility of hope, uh, of having having things not a cycle. Mm-hmm. Says there could be something new, So that's, that's, that's important. Yeah. That's, that's really profound. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I know for me personally, having deadlines in my life is is really just <laughs> right. so, uh, like, to, to know there will be a day. Time. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that. But but what you're saying also is hear that because what what that means is this life now matters. Mm-hmm. And there's something about if it's over and over again the same that well does it really matter or is this Groundhog Day? You know, we've seen that movie where you just wake up to the same exact day. Well, it meant that none nothing from the previous day actually mattered. Um, because it, it's just facing the same... You keep, drop, that itself drives you to drudgery and despair. I, I, th- I really think we need to grapple with this idea because it's, it's built into the fabric of how God made us and how his story goes. And so as we uh, jump into this theme, I want us to think about sacred time and sacred space. But first, just the uh, impact of this, this concept of day of the Lord... Uh, to uh, just say how pervasive it is, it, it appears over 200 times just in the prophets. And then you start mixing in all the other ways in which it's, it's hinted at or imaged uh, in other places and it runs all over the place. I, I um, just have to say up front as a disclaimer this is not going to be an exhaustive study of it. I got overwhelmed as I started catching all the, the trajectories and the, I thought, oh, well, I can't do this this is going to be a series of like 20 different lectures, so It's as long as it is, but it's just to, you know, tell you, it could be a lot more. But think about that. I think so often our view of God is that he's omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere, and that he's eternal, that means he's from all time. And sometimes that robs us of believing that God can actually be different in a particular place at a particular time. Does that make sense? I think we wrestle with that all the time when we think about worship. You know, okay, God's everywhere, so why even bother showing up here? But I want to argue that Scripture always thinks about God acting in a special way and a special time. And so sacred time actually should make sense just as much as sacred presence. And and those things will interact as we think about the day. So let's, uh, to get the full flavor of Day of the Lord let's go to some passages and um, try to uh, I'm going to ask you to, to um, reflect on the imagery and what are some of the sights and sounds and smells that you're picking up with from some of these passages. We'll just touch on a few. Anybody interested in reading? Yeah, thanks. You can just dive in and read the passages. Up. Uh, the whole hit, thank
1: you.
0: But uh, yeah, Joel. Joel, three.
1: Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like darkness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their life has never been before. Nor will be again after them for the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them.
0: All right, next passage. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth.
0: All right, next one. I said nobody wants to read that. I could stop. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. All right, so uh, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? To reflect on all three of those passages. Again, I could have gone to 200 passages. Um, I'm showing some restraint here. Uh, but what what could have been, or what's, what are some of the images that you're picking up here? The sounds, the sights, the feel? Fire. Fire, Fire. okay fire and desolation, right, yeah darkness. darkness, barrenness barrenness it's like a tornado okay, tornado, right, yeah, we just sort of experienced a, just small glimpses of that this week, as you see those trees in, in uh, Sleeping Giant just brought up and thrown down
1: punishment
0: and vengeance okay, yeah, punishment and vengeance blood what are you hearing? Yeah. Trumpet blast. Voice of God. These are all, these are starting to get stock images that will come into many of these passages. Again, uh, this is from the prophets. Is this a different God than the God of the New Testament? Right. Really? Are you sure? Are you sure that Jesus isn't different than this? Like, Jesus is meek and mild, right? This is, this is, uh, you guys are... Too well, Sunday schooled up here. <laughs> um, all right, so, so just a brief summary of some of this. God is present. Now, let's not forget that. What we're talking about here is not a tornado. We're not talking about a hurricane. It may, it may feel like it and look like it, but this is not natural disasters, nor is it war without God. It's God and He's present. He is. and uh, remember we said God is omnipresent, He's always everywhere. But here he shows up in a different way, and in a way specifically to judge. So presence and time mixed together here. A day, or sometimes talked about as days, are seen as a future time. There's darkness and fire, death and destruction, war imagery, blood, trumpet, loud blast, battle cry, weeping and mourning, um, and end-of-the-world imagery where it seems like everything cosmic. You know, the sun is going to be blotted out. Um... That's the feel you get from it, right? Um, And then there's also this sense of judgment. And judgment by dividing. Wicked on one side, righteous on the other. And this all happens on the same day. The day of judgment. The last day of the day of the Lord. Malachi puts them both together in a really interesting way. Listen to this. I mean, you can go all through the end of Malachi and pick this up, but... Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming shall shall set up them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that you will leave them uh, neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Is this a good day or bad day? Yeah, right, depends. Right, depends. Could be awesome. Could be healing in his wings and leaping like a calf. I've never seen a calf leap. I'm not sure what that looks like. But, you know, leaping like a calf, but, of course, trembling in fear on the other side. So we see all this in the prophets, but is this something just in the prophets? And where else do we see it? Well, I want to argue that if we go all the way back to the very beginning of scripture, this is woven into the fabric of creation. Genesis 1. Not just the Old Testament prophets, but they're building on this idea that God put this into creation. Uh, Genesis 1 depicts the pattern of God seeing... And pronouncing judgment. When does he do that? Right at the very beginning. God saw that it was, God saw the light and he said it was good. And he does this every single day. He, at the end of the day of creation, every day he, say, he passes judgment. And then on the end of uh, the first five days, uh, one through five, it is good. And then finally, at the end of the sixth day, when all the creation is completed, he says it's very good. Tob Ma'or. And that pronouncement, judgment, leads into the Sabbath day, a day when God rests, and God is not resting. Hopefully you've heard this enough. God's not resting because he's tired, because he did all creation in six days, and now he's exhausted because that was a lot of work for him. No, he's resting in his judgment. There's a royal enthronement, judgment resting, that he can sit and say, yes, it is good. And you see this movement then flowing from the day's It's a progression, a movement forward. And think about what that means for humanity. It means that God has woven into our lives this sense that uh, life is linear, that time is linear, and that at the end of it, there will be a judgment. Even in the garden, it's set up to experience life that way. That um, Adam and Eve had to work and they were looking, in, even in their work and their calling, the, the, uh, Eden was not the end. Eden was not finished. It, was, it had you lurching forward to something to come when God would then make his pronouncement. And they were hoping then, Adam and Eve, to enter into a Sabbath where they would get that verdict and they could rest in God's uh, perfect judgment of vindication and righteousness. Does that make sense? Um, so the Sabbath is the consummation where God pronounces His verdict, and Adam and Eve, as I said, looking forward to enter that, where the Lord would pronounce good, uh, what they would, and so they would enter into His glory. What happened? Nobody knows.
1: yeah, yeah okay, yeah.
0: So they, they didn't do it. They they um, they failed. Um, the hope was that this one day, obedience or disobedience, they would reach the consummation judgment, but they failed. Humanity fails to come uh, to to keep this uh, faithfully. Uh, to keep and guard was one of the tasks given here, and they failed to guard the the garden. They failed to keep the garden pure. They allowed the serpent to enter in and to reign. They failed in their task. And then we get this passage in Genesis three eight. That sounds like God is taking a leisurely stroll through the. The cool breeze of the day, uh, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife themselves um, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Um, now I thought you've heard this a few times. Hopefully, um, it's sinking in that that is a really bad translation. The cool of the day uh, really is the, the ruach of the day, the spirit. Could be translated wind. Could be translated spirit, but. Uh, If we think about the presence of God coming in judgment to evaluate their works, as is what happens here once they sin, that should help us see that what is going on here is the spirit of the day. Not the cool of the day, the spirit of the day. Or perhaps the spirit's day, or the Lord's day. Um, A day of judgment coming, where the Lord comes in to judge and to prosecute Adam, who def- Adam and Eve who defiled the sanctuary instead of guarding it how's that, y'all tracking with that? please, you know, I think the time we read that, it just doesn't make any sense unless you're you're getting that impact of it. but here we see this the Lord's day where God shows up in his presence, this is all the themes that will get, get brought up in, uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he did not exile the serpent Adam did not exile the serpent which was what he was supposed to do so Adam and Eve get exiled themselves. They get removed because of the day of the Lord. But the day wasn't final, right? There's a delay in the judgment because God didn't just zap Adam and Eve and finish them off as he could have. Um, the fall uh, might have been followed once uh, at once by a consummation of the curse that brought Judgment Day, but there's a delay... Um, and the delay is due to divine compassion. God looked at his creation. He did not want humanity to end with the first parents. And in that delay, he introduced a new way of arriving at the consummation. And that new way is the plan of redemption. So there's a new way to get to glory. There's a new way to get to judgment day and not get condemned. And that will be the plan of redemption that he will begin, even with Adam, that will last throughout scripture. But he then is going to say that whole pattern... Of work and looking forward to judgment day is going to stay in Israel as God is going to form a people and that pattern is going to be the week the Sabbath the Sabbath remains for Israel as a weekly pattern think about how in the Old Testament you'd view the week it's like the history of the world in miniature really, think about that you start Monday, you do your work you work hard. Some of you think about that of your life now. <laughs> you work really hard and you're living for the weekend, and finally the weekend's there, and yay, I can rest and relax. Uh, we'll get to why that's an unbiblical view, of how you should think about your life, but many of us, that's how we think about it. But that type of the way it's woven in there is that we're working to get to that judgment. In miniature, this uh, this whole thing, and in, even if you want to back out from the week, they think about this in, as far as years, and the 50th year, the seven, seven sevens, you know, 49 years, and then your 50th year would be a year of jubilee. And there, debts are forgiven, slaves are free, the land is healed. So the blessings of reaching that rest and that, that judgment uh, of blessing was held out there as a hope in the future. Timeline is linear, not a cycle. Um... And then let's move from the early history then to the historical books. God calls Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And the land then is symbolizing the Sabbath. It's symbolizing a place where you come in and you rest. And you finally get the, the blessing of being back in Eden. All that symbolism is there in, in the historical books as Joshua enters the land and um, Israel is the new Adam, and its job is to do what? What did Adam fail at? <coughs> yeah, okay. So it's up there. So hopefully you, you can answer a little easier. <laughs> what did Adam fail at? Driving the serpent. How does that relate to Israel's role? What's Israel to do? Get all the snakes out of the <laughs> Promised Land. St. Patrick, right? Now, uh, what's what's Israel going to do? Uh, the Okay, follow the law, right, but how does it relate to this idea of driving the serpent out of the land, out of the garden temple? Drive out the Canaanites. Yeah, drive out the Canaanites. You see that? Israel's holy wars are echoes back to Adam in his role cleansing the garden. They need to do that same thing but it's also an echo of future anticipation of the day of the Lord, when the, world will, when the Lord will come in and drive out sin and evil. Holy war in the Old Testament, this concept of harem, which is devoting things to the ban, calling Israel to um, get into these wars and drive out other nations, has been one of the dark marks in modern culture and dark criticisms of, of the Bible. I was just reading a story with a very popular preacher in Atlanta. Um, has just come out and said, the, you know, the church needs to unhinge itself from the Old Testament. And basically, because we can't keep defending this, this idea of holy war, of, of um, what is often called ethnic cleansing, where that uh, Israel is coming in and cleansing it. But man, that is getting this whole idea wrong. It's not ethnic cleansing. In fact, you might say it's ethnic. F- Uh, ethical cleansing, they're coming in there not to destroy because they're different nations, but because of God giving that idea of of role acting here, of bringing the judgment day. We might call it an intrusion of the day of the Lord, or an insertion of the day of the Lord into Canaan, into the promised land, for these battles. So that the day of the Lord, instead of being at the end of time, gets moved up into these battles where Israel is trying to find their Sabbath in the land. And we know that that's what Holy War is, because every time Israel got into violence for their own purposes, for selfish reasons, God judged them and said, that's wrong. It is not about Israel just having battles out there and slaughtering anybody who gets in their way or for their own ambitions. It's specifically saying, God, through this people, is going to show up and typologically display the day of the Lord. Um, yeah, so violence, yeah, violence that is just serving their purpose. Questions? That's a good time to ask questions. Comments? Tracking, tracking with it? Yeah, Carolyn? Well, what Muslims
1: would say, well, see, you we know better than us. You know, we have world wars, you have holy wars, we all have wars, why are you so mad?
0: Yeah. That's I you know so I I can't speak a lot to Muslim view of holy war because I'm not that familiar with it frankly but what I'm saying here is that there was a specific time when Israel was a nation. The God's people were a nation. God's people are no longer a nation. We are not to, that that was clearly a specific time that ended with Christ there's enough scripture to demonstrate that uh, no longer do we see ourselves with a a king and a nation and and those purposes two, it was specifically uh, under God's instruction for a particular people at a particular time and it was typological to demonstrate the fact that there was an end coming Um, so, you know, that's my my brief response, but it's really trying to understand scripture in its context of this message to say there's a day coming when God's presence is going to be there uh, and it's the presence of the day of the Lord.
1: Just, just to compliment that I mean that the core of the argument that he just says, and I think it's crucial, is that Christ came saying he did come to uh, abolish the law. When you think of the law, think of the whole history of the Old Testament and the contextualization of that law, but to fulfill it. So we would be almost Muslim if it weren't for Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is now. We we interpret and see the fulfillment of Israel in Christ as being realized in the church. And it's true. We you could say I say this with quotation. So don't put me. Like too much here. But we could say we also believe in the caliphate. But our caliphate is right now a resident alien caliphate, called a church, a kingdom that's not of this world be not political but we do envision a day when this earth will be all of it the kingdom of god which is what they mean by husband so i just think this is so crucial i mean jesus makes all the you know that, and that jesus makes all the difference in the world and he interprets all of that history the way that Kevin's doing it yeah. in a manner that now we don't see this as a politicization of religion if you didn't have jesus you would see the whole testament nothing but a politicization of religion and and holy war would be just that but, uh, of political actions but if you see it through Christ it is ethical, it is spiritual it is now fulfilled in the church That's going to one day become the caliphate from heaven
0: and, and uh, just to, to follow up Israel demonstrates that we that the, the foolishness of when humanity does this because they are unable to do this well or godly at all and so they're, we're going to see as it goes through. They're going to wind up with the judgment coming back on themselves, and they deserve to be under the under the caliphate, under the the holy war themselves for this. So, and we and we recommend. So let's get there. It's short on time, so we have got of run, but um, well, uh, so they entered there, but they never arrived. They get into the land, and even though they start very almost immediately, as soon as they get in there, they start disobeying. Um, and there's still this message that the rest is not complete Uh, Hebrews makes that case Joshua enters but they're not given rest they still look forward to a day of the Lord and where God would come and bring that Um, the day of the Lord is seen as a time of both judgment and deliverance, other people would be judged God's people would be delivered both things happening on the same day God's people vindicated healed, blessed, wicked nations and enemies of God uh, destroyed, a nation subdued and brought. So sometimes you have the destruction, and then you also get these images where those nations then get brought and flow to Israel and flow to Israel's God and get incorporated in. That's why a lot of Old Testament it sounds like preaching the gospel to the far off nations. The the image is them flowing in and bringing their treasure to the to Yahweh. Um, a wonderful graphic here. Um, just the clip bar is back. Uh, but this, the way they saw and looked forward to it, saw it as one day. Hang on to that. Um, the day of the, of the Lord um, brings blessing, um, milk and honey and wine and, and celebration. Day of blessing for Israel. Um, a key will be resurrection. So um, Isaiah twenty-six: Your dead shall live; their bodies shall rise. Uh, you will dwell in. in the, you who dwell in the dust of the earth, awake and sing for joy. For uh, your dew is a dew of light, and earth will give birth to its dead. This will happen at the end of time, and who's it going to happen to? Everybody. To Everybody. Yeah, yeah. Ezekiel thirty-seven, Daniel two, the uh, twelve two says the same thing. Resurrection is a sign of the day of the Lord. Hold on to it. Um. Judgment to other nations. Punish the world in evilness. And sometimes it's not even called the day of the Lord. It's called the day of the uh, Amorites or the day of the Midianites or the day of the Egyptians. Um, and there's key enemies of God that will be destroyed. But then you get to the prophets after a while and after multiple you know, generations of Israel's sin And the judgment then gets turned around and said, Okay, Israel, you think the day of the Lord is going to be destroying all these people out there? Guess what? You're in there too. Um, uh, Woe to you who desire for the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Golly, horrible. (laughs) Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Uh, It's the day of the Lord in darkness and not light, uh, and gloom within it. I hate your, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. You're in a way to say, no longer is this just those people out there. It is you, and the response is exile. Crisis happens when the prophets started to indicate that Israel is going to face condemnation and not blessing on the day of the Lord. And what happens to them? It's what happened to it's what happened to the serpent. It's what happened to Adam and Eve. They get kicked out of the land. They get brought out to Assyria and to Babylon, and this judgment falls on them. And then John the Baptist shows up. I'm moving quick, guys. Uh, John the Baptist shows up and then preaches, flee from the wrath to come, and calls Israel to repentance. And then we get to Jesus. Now Jesus is going to preach his first sermon. In Luke 4, and here's his message. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is preaching from the text of Isaiah 61. He gets that specific scroll, he reads it. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, recover the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jubilee. The year of favor, uh, otherwise Sabbath. You know, it's an extension of the Sabbath. He is, then he rolled. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the sanctuary fixed on him. And he began to say to them, "Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." What's he saying? He's saying the day of the Lord has come. That's a passage talking about the end of time, this amazing last day. Except if we read the whole text, Jesus preaches the whole of this, except he leaves off this last clause in verse 2. <laughs> and the day of vengeance of our God. Why do he do that? Aren't we supposed to preach the whole... Mess? Imagine if I preached a sermon... But I, I preached that whole thing, talked about the dusting, and then I cut off, I didn't mention that last. You know I'll be coming up Wait a second, preacher. You missed this last clause here, and that sort of changes the feel to it, doesn't it? Doesn't it change the feel a little bit to this day? What's his point? Well, Jesus is trying to explain here that the day of the Lord, which you saw as one time, is now actually a, not, a now and not yet. There is a division. What seemed as though one one piece, instead of calling down God's judgment and driving out the Gentile nations, Jesus commands us to do what with our neighbors? To love them. To love our enemies. This is not the time for, for judgment. Instead they're called to take the plank out of their own eyes. And Jesus rebukes his disciples who want to call down fire from heaven. Disciples, it takes a long time for them to get this. But when they get it, it's, uh, it's profound. Throughout the New Testament, we're told that um, you know these are the last days. When are the last days? You're in them now, and not yet. But not everything predicted about the last days is present now. So, like I said, the prophets saw this as one um, event, but in reality, it's two events. So what they perceived as one mountain as a, there's a New Testament scholar that depicts this as they looked at it and they saw a mountain but really what it was was a mountain range there's, there's the blessing and the judgment and the day of the Lord as the prophets saw them and mixed it all together in one when it comes to the New Testament we see this um, we see this divided in two at least what's the sign that we know it's the day of the Lord? resurrection it was there in the old testament except resurrection didn't happen to all people at the end of time it happened to one person in the middle of time it happened to Jesus but that was a sign that things were now the day of the lord we entered this consummation what happens to the sabbath it's no longer the seventh day when is it now the first day what's the significance It's called now the Lord's Day. The day of the Lord. Lord's Day. Same concept. What's the significance of going from six days of work, entering into rest, to resting on the first day that leads you into the work week? What's the difference between those two? Not rhetorical, sorry. (laughs) I mean, hopefully everything, right? I'll, I'll fill in the gaps. You guys are all... What? What's the difference between the Sabbath on the last day of the week, a seventh day, you know, Saturday, you work, 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 hoping for rest, rather than your first day of the week is, and the, your your observance is rest on the first day, and that leads you into the week. But
1: we're not waiting to attain it anymore. Yeah. Have it it right is it.
0: finished. You are not working for your salvation. You're not looking for this day of judgment. And of course, not enough time to explain how Israel worked that all out, but not looking for that judgment to come. You now live out of the final judgment given to you. You are justified. You are blessed. And that needs to shape all the work you do through the week. You live out of the Sabbath rest. You live out of the joy of the blessing that the day of the Lord has come and now that shapes all of your work if we're living for the weekend and working hard for it or and you expand that out of your week into your life of I'm working for my retirement I'm working for the day I can rest I'm working for the time where I can finally give up of this struggle, you have misunderstood the gospel and misunderstood the story of Israel the whole idea is it is now blessed and we have the significance we live our lives out of that very radical and very different um Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Sound familiar? The presence of the Spirit is there, trumpet voice there, and eternal rest in the new heavens and the new earth, intr- intruded into the myths of history on Sunday. Um, these quotes from Lee Irons are really helpful. Um, the uninterrupted rest of the age to come had already begun. By faith we lay hold of Christ. And we enter into the enjoyment of it, as Hebrews says, uh, we have put aside our righteousness and now serve the living God with a clear conscience and the fruit of, the, of that rest, not in order to earn it um, by our sinful works. Thus, the day is a Sabbath rest in Christ. However, there is a not yet aspect of this rest. We still live in our mortal bodies. We still toil. We still have the frustration of it. We still are waiting for the final day to come. So there's the still not yet peace. And listen to this other quote. The Sabbath is a weekly rest stop on our journey to heaven, a foretaste of the eternal rest that awaits us at the end. It is the lamp that lights our path to heaven. It is the down payment of the future possession. Isn't that awesome? That what we experience today in worship and, and setting aside the day to experience God is this rest stop. It's the day of the Lord experienced now in miniature, looking forward to the final day with all that. presence of God. Presence, uh, God's voice rests from our burdens, judgment. We had judgment declared to us, right? What was your verdict? You remember that? (laughs) Your verdict was you're forgiven. You're righteous. We had that declared. You experience the day of the Lord today. Um, but there's a not yet part of this. Kind have to skip over this stuff because I don't want to get to the end. It's not going to last forever. Peter says there's a delay. That delay is for good. It's for so that all the people can come in. There's a delay for that final peace. God didn't bring the day of the Lord. Bam. He brought it in stages so that um, we can call on the nations to repent. Jesus describes this future day. This is not Jesus against the Old Testament. All those things about Jesus saying in the back half of Matthew, and the back half of the Gospels, is about a future day when he will come back and judge the nations. Jesus talks a lot about judging. And then it's there in First and Second Thessalonians where the dead in Christ will rise, a horn will be, a trumpet will be blasted, and the dead in Christ will rise. Alright, quickly, is the day of the Lord a good thing? Even the future part of it? Well, yes. Yes. Um, there is, there must be such a thing as judgment. Judgment, the sovereign declaration that um, this is good and to be held, to be upheld and vindicated, and that is evil and that is to be condemned, is the only alternative to chaos. There are some things, quite a lot of them, in fact, that one must not tolerate, lest one merely collude with wickedness. I wish I could let that sink in. But to not love the day of the Lord to come, to not want a judgment day, in many ways is to collude with wickedness. Is to say that I don't, I'm do not i going to say evil is good, wickedness is, is tolerable, that I really don't want a judgment to come on it. So, um, that's really profound. From Wolf, uh, if God were not angry at injustice and deception, did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. The only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves, the only reason resistance from me to go out and get vengeance, is the insistence that vengeance is legitimate only when it comes from God. My thesis, that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance, will be unpopular to many in the West. But, I love this line, but it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of this thesis that human nonviolence results from the belief in God's refusal to judge. In the sun-scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will be it will invariably die with the other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. He's saying that, man, if we don't, if we're never facing injustice and violence in our own life, we're never going to understand this desire for God to, uh, to be just. Alright, I'll, I'll end here. Uh, I've got a couple other quotes about the desire and its impact on our reaching and loss. But questions about the day of the Lord? Yeah, all right. It's a lot. Um, if you can read through this as it gets online. But, um, but let me, yeah, when does it happen? Yeah. Uh, the Lord is like a thousand years, thousand years like yeah. mean, him.
1: One of the keys here is we've our judgment
0: yeah.
1: on the cross. That's why it's called Good Friday. Mm-hmm. So, so this extended period of time of the day that uh, started when Jesus said today, yeah. I'm going to fulfill that.
0: Yeah. And That's we should still then, knowing that God poured out his wrath on the cross, we can still long for God to come again and, find, and complete the, the judgment. All right, let me, let me pray. Father, thank you for Uh, The community we have here, thank you for the blessing of the Lord's Day. I pray that you'll use it in our lives to strengthen us and to remind us of all that we have in Christ and that we do stand condemned if we're outside of him. Bless our meal, our time together, um, as we share break bread together. May it be rich and enjoyable in Christ's name. Amen.